Hello, I'm Pippa. We're now going to have our reading from Nehemiah, which can be found in chapter 1 on page 484 of the Church Bibles. Nehemiah's Prayer The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, The God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you turn to me and obey my commands, then, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name." They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Thank you. Pippa. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great that we can be here that for this new series in the book of Nehemiah. It would be wonderful if you could have that passage open in front of you. Um, it won't be on the screen anymore, so it would be great if you could find it. Please, if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 484. It will make this much more um, in- interesting if you've got the passage open in front of you. I've got the passage open in front of me, so please follow my wonderful example. We're looking at this uh, um, wonderful book of Nehemiah. If you weren't here last week to hear John Risbridger do an introduction to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, please please listen to that um, on the the website. It's well worth listening to. Um, But let me just fill you in on a few little things before we get into the passage proper. Um, Nehemiah is in Susa. If you look at verse 1, you can see that there. Nehemiah is in Susa in Babylon. Uh, the people of Israel had been carted off into exile and a long time ago now. And uh, Nehemiah is a descendant of those people that were carted away into exile. And he's still there and he's in Susa. And the date, it's the, verse 1 says this, the 20th year, which is the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. King Artaxerxes, I find it very difficult to say this word. King Artaxerxes, I'm really glad my name is Andrew and not Artaxerxes. Um, It's the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. He is the king of um, the empire. 
So he's in charge of everything. He is the king. And that means it's the year 445, but that doesn't really interest you, the year, and it doesn't really interest me either. I just thought I'd say it. So Nehemiah is here. He's in a foreign country. And then look what happens to him. He hears some news in verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he asks how things are going in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. Jerusalem is the, the city of the Jewish people. And the answer comes in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Now, that is a very strong expression. They are in great trouble and disgrace. They're having a terrible time. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. They're in a really, really difficult situation. And the end of verse 3 tells us why. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is the city of God and the walls are broken down. The gates aren't even standing. It's broken down and burnt. And Nehemiah hears this news. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. When he hears this news, he's broken. He's crushed. He's devastated. I think this is worse than he had imagined. That is Nehemiah's situation at the beginning of this book. Now, you may be thinking you don't have much in common with Nehemiah and that I don't have much in common with Nehemiah. We're not faced with a situation of some city without walls and we need to build the walls. That's nothing to do with us. But actually, we have a lot to do with Nehemiah. Nehemiah knew that he was one part of the people of God. He knew that he was part of the people of Israel who belonged to God, God's special people. And if you are a Christian, if you turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you know too that you are part of God's special people, the church. And therefore, we're going to learn things from Nehemiah, who is, who is someone who's absolutely belonging to the people of God. We're going to learn things from him that will help us to live and to pray. So let's be open to the Holy Spirit. Let's be open to him and be asking him, you can be asking him now, to speak into our lives. Let's have a look at Nehemiah. Firstly, Nehemiah prioritizes prayer. He prioritizes prayer. Look at verse 4 again. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I don't know what his prayers were like at the beginning. They may have been a bit of a mess because he's just so grieving. It's like he's grieving for the death of a loved one. But he just keeps praying. He keeps talking to God in his anguish and in his grief. He talks to God and that raises a question for me. Why sometimes, 
is talking to God the last thing that I do. I mean, you're shocked at my saying that. And members of the leadership team are already making the decision, we're not going to ask this guy to preach ever again. <laughs> but sometimes it's the last thing I do is talk to God. But here's Nehemiah in verse 4, prioritizing prayer. He says, I really need to pray. I must pray. I want to pray. And then we've got this prayer in verses 5 to 11 that we'll come to in a few minutes. Obviously, this prayer in verses 5 to 11 is really important. Otherwise, it wouldn't all be written out for us. Uh, if it wasn't important, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah would go straight from chapter 1, verse 4 to chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to learn something about Nehemiah and learn about his relationship with God when we look at this prayer. But look at this whole thing that he prioritizes prayer. He doesn't neglect prayer. I have to say one of the reasons, and it was interesting, it came out a little bit in when, when Catherine and Sim were doing their thing at the beginning, which was wonderful. Thank you. One of the reasons I neglect prayer sometimes is that I find myself thinking, I don't think it, it makes any difference if I pray. I mean, God's not going to answer. And I need to hear this, and I think all of us need to hear this. I need to hear this, and so I'm going to say it. God always answers prayer. He may not always answer prayer the way we'd like him to, but he always answers prayer. Do you know God's five answers to prayer? He always answers prayer with one of these answers. See if I can remember them. Here are the five, God's five answers to prayer. He answers prayer with one of these answers. Yes. No. Wait. Mind your own business, do it yourself. But he always answers prayer. When I pray, it is never a waste of time. It is always worth doing because God is always listening to his children and he always answers prayer. Now, the danger with me talking about prayer like this is that um, I, just be, I just make you feel guilty. Um, one of the dangers with preaching and mentioning prayer is that it's very, very easy to make people feel guilty that they're not praying enough. Um, I just need to say that that's not what this is about. I mean, there are some preachers who think if they've talked about prayer and everybody has gone home feeling really lousy about themselves, the preacher goes home basking and thinking, my work is done. That's not what this is about. But if you've been neglecting prayer a little bit and all of us do sometimes, then this is the Holy Spirit saying, make a new start. Make a new start. Start to pray again. Start to give a little bit more time to God to pray. Start to prioritize prayer again. This is not saying make the decision three hours prayer before the sun rises. If you're one of those people, please talk. Well, no, don't talk to me afterwards. I don't want to meet you. But it's saying, where you are now, start, make a start. Give a little bit more time. Talk to God. Prioritize prayer. It's always good to pray because God is always listening to his children. That's the first thing I learn, we can learn from Nehemiah. The second thing about Nehemiah, and we're coming now to look at his prayer, 
is that he knows God. He knows God, and particularly he knows who God is, and he knows what God has done. He knows who God is. Look at verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you uh, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah is very clear, the God he's speaking to is the God of heaven, the God who is in charge of his universe, the God who has everything in his hands. There is nothing too hard for God. He's also the great and awesome God, verse 5. I think if we suddenly got a revelation of just how great and awesome God is, we might never speak again. I think we'd just be overwhelmed. By his greatness. And he is also the God who keeps his covenant of love. He makes commitments to people. He made a commitment to Israel. He's made a commitment to us. He makes a commitment and he keeps his promises. He is always faithful. Nehemiah knows who God is. And the whole thing of covenant, you notice the very first word of his prayer, he calls God Lord. There are four capital letters there. That means in the Hebrew, the name, it's the name of God. It's Yahweh. It's the covenant God, the God who's committed himself to Israel. But Nehemiah also knows what God has done. And this is going to help him to pray as well. Um, have a look at verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Look at the uh, verse 9. God had promised that he would bring his people home. Even if they'd been scattered, even if they'd been sent into exile, he would bring his people home. I have to smile when I look at the first word of verse 8. We really don't need to remind God of things. Uh, memory lapses are something that we have, not something that God has. But what Nehemiah is really doing here, isn't he, is reminding himself of what God has done, of reminding himself of God's promises, that God is always faithful. And if we do that, that will help us. Have a look at verse 10, that's even clearer. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. That word redeemed is very important. Nehemiah's thinking back to Egypt, when the people of God were in slavery. And God redeemed them. He brought them out of Egypt. First half of the book of Exodus. He brought them out of Egypt through the Passover and then through the Red Sea on dry land. God redeemed his people. And looking back and remembering what God has done makes it easier for Nehemiah to believe that God is going to do something so that the walls of Jerusalem can be rebuilt. Nehemiah knows God. He knows who God is, and he knows what God has done. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a truster in Jesus Christ, you, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, then you know what he has done. I've just said it. 
Jesus came into our world, the eternal Son of God, and he died so that we could be forgiven on the rugged cross. We've just been singing about it. And when he died, he took all our bad stuff onto himself, all our sin, and he took the punishment so that we could be forgiven. It is stunning stuff. So we are forgiven if we're trusting in Jesus, not because of what we do for God. We're forgiven because of what God has done for us when Jesus died on the cross. Hallelujah. Feel free to worship God. Remember what God has done. It is stunning stuff. And remember who God is. All those things in verse 5 are still true about God. But as Christians, we can call God the creator of the universe. We can call him Father. It's one of the staggering things for me about being a Christian. If I've come to know Jesus, I can call his Father my Father. You call God Father. That's what the New Testament says, that we can call God Father. That may be a difficult thing for you if you had a non-existent or a bad relationship with your human father, but the Holy Spirit wants to help us to call God Father. It is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, the New Testament makes that clear. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. You think I'm just making up these references, don't you? But they're real. The New Testament us, encourages us to call God Father and the Holy Spirit who's living inside us, if we're trusting in Jesus, he wants to help us to call God Father. So there's the second thing about Nehemiah. Oh, I'm really excited about this man and his example. He prioritizes prayer. He knows God. He knows who God is and he knows what God has done. The third thing about Nehemiah is he's sorry for sin. Have a look at the second half of verse 6, please. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He's confessing sins. But please notice, he's not just confessing the sins of the others. He's also confessing his own sins. So we read in verse uh, 6, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family. That's really important because I'm, I'm sure you've noticed it's much easier to spot sin in other people than it is in ourselves. But he's confessing his sin. He's admitting he's not what he ought to be and none of us is. So he's sorry for sin, and he's telling God he's sorry for sin. Actually, we, we are able to do something much more wonderful than that. We not only can confess our sins, we can say, we can ask for forgiveness on the basis of what Jesus did. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can ask for forgiveness and know that we're forgiven. Nehemiah had never heard of Jesus but we have, and the invitation is there for us to trust Jesus. But Nehemiah is sorry for sin. We make excuses when we sin, don't we? We say it was the pressure from other people, pressure from the family, pressure from the, the people at work, 
Pressure from people at the university. Pressure, pressure, pressure. It's the pressure that's at fault. But actually, it's not the pressure that's at fault when we sin. All of us are like a lemon. If I have a lemon in my hand and squeeze it, sour juice comes out. But it's not the pressure that has made the juice sour. The pressure has simply made visible what was always in the lemon. I don't know about you, but that really speaks to me. Some of you are looking absolutely mystified, but I think it makes sense. We're sour inside, we're sinners, there is sin in us. And when we're under pressure, sometimes these things come out and I say something or do something, I shouldn't. It's not the pressure that's at fault, I'm at fault. We're sinners. And we need to say sorry for sin. That's the third thing from Nehemiah. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about these things? There's a fourth thing. It's the last thing. And it's there in verse 11. The fourth thing is that Nehemiah is available. Look at verse 11, please. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, that may seem very strange, the end of verse 11. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who is this man? There's an explanation right at the end of the chapter. I was cupbearer to the king. The man that Nehemiah is talking about in his prayer is King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah is his cupbearer. And I need to just say something about that. The cupbearer isn't just the butler who serves drinks. He is someone who's really trusted by the king. The king trusts Nehemiah not to poison him. Otherwise, Nehemiah would not be the cupbearer. The king trusts Nehemiah. There's a relationship there. They may have talked about all kinds of stuff together. And I think something is happening to Nehemiah during his praying in verse 4 and during his prayer in verses 5 to 11. I think something is happening to him. I think he's realizing God is going to answer my prayer and the walls of Jerusalem are going to be built again and the gates are going to be erected again. That is all going to happen. But I think he's realizing something else too. God is going to use me to help make that happen. Because it's not going to happen unless the king Artaxerxes says yes. And here's Nehemiah in a unique position. He, he can speak to the king because he's his cupbearer. And so I think Nehemiah is realizing that this prayer that he's praying that the wall, that Jerusalem will be repaired, the walls built up again, I think he's realizing that God's answer to his prayer is not only yes, but also do it yourself. And I think Nehemiah is realizing that. And as he was praying in verse 4, and as he's praying in verses 5 to 11, he's saying to God, I'm available. I'm available. And in that, he is a fantastic example 
to us. There's a song which we're not going to sing today, but I think it's a great song. And uh, I often use the words when I'm t- praying. I'm, going to, I'm not going to sing the song, don't worry, but I am going to say some of the words. I think they're wonderful. And as I say them, it's all about being available to God. As I say them, maybe you can be thinking, is this something I could say, want to say to God? I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. Do you find yourself saying, yes, I want to serve the purpose of God. I want to be involved. That that doesn't mean you give up your course at university or give up your job or run away from your family and go to the other end of the world. What it means is wherever you are, at university, in a job, in a family, you serve God's purpose in that situation. You say to God, I'm available. I want to live for you and for your purposes in the situation you've put me in. Are you available to God? Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is as he prays in verse 4 and as he prays in verses 5 to 11 and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and saying, are you available? And oh, it makes sense to be available when we think what God has done for us, doesn't it? He's given us Jesus. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us a relationship with God. He's given us everlasting life. He's given us the gift of the Spirit living inside us if we're trusters in Jesus. Well, then let's make ourselves available to God. Let's respond to the prompting of the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Just have a look at those four things up on the screen, four things that are true about Nehemiah. And just have a think in a brief silence now, which of those four things do you think is especially important for you today? I think they're all important. There isn't a right answer here. But just choose one of those four things that you think the Holy Spirit may particularly be speaking to you about. And now... You may not want to do this. If you don't want to do this, just sit quietly where you are. That's absolutely fine. But if you're happy to, please just turn to somebody near you and tell them which one of those four you chose and why. This involves speaking. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example of Nehemiah. Thank you for for the reminder that you are the great and awesome God, that you always keep your promises. Thank you for your great purposes. And we thank you that we have the privilege of being able to say that we know that Jesus died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and become your friends now and forever. We worship you. Father, whatever the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us, about of those four things we pray that you'd be speaking in our in our in our minds in our hearts help us to act on what you've said to us today we pray 
And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.